I'm Tanya Israel. I'm a professor of counseling psychology at UC Santa Barbara and uh, author of Beyond Your Bubble, How to Connect Across the Political Divide, Skills and Strategies for Conversations that Work. Tanya Israel, uh, great speaking with you. Yes, you as well. Thanks, Robert. What is your advice for finding civility in light of this conflict, as many people have very strong emotional responses to the conflict and tragedy? And in cases can lead to negative feelings uh, towards the other side. Sure. And I'm assuming you're talking about the Israel-Hamas war? Yes. Boy, this is such a heartbreaking situation. I would say that there are people who have different distances from this situation. There are people who are right there on the ground who are fearing for their lives. There are people who have family and friends uh, in that area. There are also people who are of Jewish and Palestinian uh, descent who are in the U.S. and other places around the world who are feeling really vulnerable. And then there are people who are really advocating for one side or the other or particular solutions around it. So I I would say that the people who are on the ground, they're dealing with survival and the people who have loved ones there are also just right in it with them. So let me speak a little bit more to people who are feeling vulnerable because of their identity or heritage um, and people who are advocates. I would say that one of the things that's challenging when we're feeling vulnerable um, ourselves is it's really hard in those situations to be open to dialogue or, you know, seeing views that that aren't necessarily the ones that we already have. So I would say that one of the things to do is try to be as safe as possible, you know, and that's something I think that people are really concerned about, a safety of themselves and their community. And Um, Also support other people who are feeling unsafe, whether they're feeling unsafe, you know, for the same reasons that you are or not. There are ways I think that we can understand people's situations by a shared feeling that we're having. So um, if you're able to do that, then I think that that's great. There's a lot also going on in terms of advocacy, and we're seeing this happen at UCSB and on many campuses. Um, And so one of the things with advocacy is it's a really important skill. It's, you know, it's one of the things that we learn in college is how to um, develop our our values and our opinions and to support those in different ways. So I think that demonstrating is one of the ways of doing that. I would also say that there are um, other ways of developing our views and and cultivating um, broader understanding of issues than the views that we already have now. And I think that that's actually one of the greatest opportunities on a college campus is for not just students, but students and faculty and staff, the whole community, really to engage in a process of trying to open their minds to views and perspectives and experiences that they don't already have. So at the same time that protests and demonstrations can be really useful ways of expressing things, I would encourage everybody to think about engaging in personal exploration for themselves about their views, but also perhaps a dialogue, and I think one-on-one is the best way to do this, where your goal is really within the context of a uh, warm, trusting relationship uh, to be able to understand a perspective that is not your own.
What are your thoughts on the impact of social media as opposed to discussing the conflict uh, face to face? Right. Well, social media is not actually a very helpful way to have these interactions. It turns out that even though we think sometimes that by responding to somebody's social media, by by uh, giving them some other information, that that's going to somehow turn them right around and help them to see the light. Uh, research shows that that's not actually what happens. In fact, by sharing an opposing perspective on social media, you're more likely to push someone farther toward their own view than you are to bring them toward yours. I tend to think that the only helpful comment that you can make on somebody's social media is to say, I'm really interested in hearing more of what you have to say. Can we find a time to talk? Do you have thoughts on the free speech debate on college campuses, for instance, uh, people on different sides are alleging that rhetoric on the other side uh, might incite hate or in some cases even violence. How do you handle these volatile situations while respecting uh, free speech? So PEN America has uh, some very useful guidelines related to free speech. And so I, I would recommend that, um, that people and organizations look at those as they're trying to think about how to approach these kinds of um, uh, situations. Keeping in mind that often we are coming into these uh, situations feeling vulnerable. It's sometimes a little harder to um, recognize where we're feeling vulnerable, but maybe there's not actually a, um, a physical threat. Now, sometimes there is a physical threat. And if there's a physical threat involved, then, then of course, that's something that we need to take seriously. And at the same time, often we're feeling vulnerable because of, again, our heritage or even the opinions that we have and not feeling that sense of support and belonging and safety on our campus. So one of the best things that we can do is, to the extent possible, try to create circumstances of support and belonging and safety on our campus that can really hold those different kinds of views that, that people have. So I think we need to have free speech and we also need to find ways where we can have those um, conversations in a way and in a setting where it's it's not just about um, people shouting each other down um, or even just expressing their own views, that it's really about people also trying to open themselves up to new ways of thinking. Uh, some universities have diverged on whether to use the term uh, terrorism, and the problem with that is both sides have taken offense no matter what the decision ha has been. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in particular or just in general, how to handle these kind of editorial decisions or if you take a strong stance one way or the other, depending on how you how you word things? How do you do that without knowing that whatever you do, you're going to risk if you're going to offend someone? I think that public statements are very, very difficult in these kinds of situations because different terminology means different things to people and 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 certainly pushes people's buttons in certain ways. So I, I really do feel for campus leaders um, and leaders beyond our campus who are trying to find ways of putting something out there um, publicly. It's really why I encourage conversation about things because even conversation, you know, if people are having reactions to what someone's saying, 
great. Let's have a conversation so that people can understand why did that resonate for you? What about that felt like it made sense to you? And then, you know, someone else says, okay, well, tell me like, what about that pushed your buttons and why did that make you feel so unsafe? And where we can really use those as an opportunity to promote more understanding. Is it okay to have personal biases on these issues or various issues in general and a knowledge that others have theirs? Is it okay to have personal biases? Well, we do have personal biases. So um, I don't know that I can say it's not okay to, it's just where we're coming from. Not only do we have individual biases on different sides of things, but one thing that we all share is that we have cognitive biases that distort our view of people who have a different opinion than we do. We typically see people who are on the other side as being extreme, uninformed or misinformed, irrational, and also um, sort of having moral failings in terms of their motivations. Whereas, you know, we see ourselves as being informed and benevolent and caring and rational beings. Well, it turns out we all see ourselves that way and see the other people in this, you know, negatively distorted way. So being aware of our cognitive biases can be really helpful in terms of correcting for those, knowing that you know, if, if those terms that I use to refer to someone on the other side resonate for you in terms of the way you're seeing them, then maybe recognize that you're probably distorting that. And there's, there's decades and decades, so much research on this um, to know that, that those distortions are really in place. One of those distortions that I think is particularly relevant in these situations, it's called motive attribution asymmetry. That's where we see our own motivations as caring and benevolent, and we see the other side as being selfish and even hateful. And actually, some of the research on this particular um, bias comes out of the Middle East, but it turns out that it applies also to Democrats and Republicans in the U.S. and all kinds of different groups. So I think that part of what's useful in having conversations is not necessarily to change our own minds about the issues. It's really more to maybe change our minds about people who disagree with us on the issues, maybe trying to just recognize that they have a perspective that we can understand rather than seeing them um, in such a narrow and negative view. So Thanksgiving is coming up. You wrote about this, but what would be your advice to be to your advice be for people going into Thanksgiving now to discuss issues with their relatives? The best way to have these conversations is one on one. So when you're at a table full of people, it does not necessarily become about promoting understanding. Sometimes it's really about just people venting their perspectives. And so I think if there's someone who's going to be at Thanksgiving or any of the holidays coming up that you want to try to have some dialogue with and promote understanding, try to find a way to have a conversation with them one-on-one -on -one rather than in a group setting. I'll also say that before I wrote my book, I created a resource that I call the flowchart that will resolve all political conflict in our country. And um, I actually created a Thanksgiving themed uh, placemat version of that. So you don't necessarily have to have that placemat, but I do recommend equipping yourself with some tools and really thinking through the skills that are going to help you to have those conversations, things like listening, managing your emotions, 
perspective taking, and again, creating a setting where you're going to be most successful, like a one-on-one conversation. And where can we find your book if you want to give more information? My book is called Beyond Your Bubble, How to Connect Across the Political Divide, Skills and Strategies for Conversations that Work. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And last I checked, there were still some signed copies in the UCSB campus bookstore. Thank you, Tanya Israel uh, with KCSB News. Uh, This is Robert Stark. Thank you, Robert.